If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel is in your Bible uh, after the the big prophets, uh, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and before all those little uh, prophets, the 12 minor prophets that come right before the New Testament. So Daniel's right in the middle of those. Tonight we're in Daniel chapter 2. Hearing, actually, the second half of the story of the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and the threat that came to Daniel's life because of that dream. We started this last week. We looked at Nebuchadnezzar, who had this dream. Uh, It was a nightmare to him. He was distressed by it. He was ready to kill all the wise men and the magicians and the sorcerers that he had gathered around him, unless they could tell him both what the dream was as well as the meaning of the dream. And, of course, none of them could do it. And uh, right before they wipe everybody out, and Daniel's uh, sort of a junior wise man, he doesn't even know uh, that this decree has gone out, uh, he meets the captain of the king's guard who's come to to execute him and... uh, he inquires, what's going on? And what's the urgency? And, and get me an audience with the king, and I'll interpret it. And he, he runs back home or to wherever his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are, and he gathers them up and he says, hey, we've got to pray. We've got to call upon God for mercy. And, um, and God answers their prayer and gives Daniel the knowledge of what the dream is as well as what its interpretation is is tonight tonight in our scripture reading what we actually hear is Daniel telling the dream and the meaning of it along with then the outcome of the story uh, and tonight in hearing this we'll see something of the the godliness of Daniel and how he lived as a persecuted believer in a pagan culture But we'll also see see something of what God does in his people and what God does for his people and what God does with his people. So let me invite you to consider uh, Daniel chapter 2. I'm actually going to pick up the reading at verse 24 so we, we pick up some of the story from last week. Let me invite you to hear then the word of God. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. 
and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him 
The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father, thank you for this word, and we pray that you would enlighten our eyes, that we would understand great and precious things in it. We ask that you would be our teacher. Grant, uh, Father, because we are not worthy uh, to speak your name. We are not worthy to teach your word. Uh, We pray that you in grace would come and grant that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Telling a violent dictator he isn't the best and brightest, that he's not the highest and mightiest, must always be a dangerous and unenviable task. There was a King James, no, not LeBron, but in the reign of King James VI of Scotland, who was also King James I of England and Ireland, some people began to see that he was getting too big for his britches, seeking to control God's church in a way that God had not commanded or permitted. And in a striking display of courage, Andrew Melville confronted him, and he said this to the king, Sir, we will always humbly reverence your majesty in public, but since we have this occasion to be with your majesty in private, We must discharge our duty or else be traitors both to Christ and you. I must tell you, there are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There is King James, the Lord of the Commonwealth, and there is Christ Jesus, the King of the Church, whose subject James VI is, and of whose kingdom he is not a king, nor a lord, nor a head. We will yield to you your place and give you all due obedience. But again, I say, you are not the head of the church. And you cannot give us that eternal life that we seek for. And you cannot deprive us of it. What kind of courage would it take to speak so boldly to a king? How much more for a teenage Daniel, Daniel, a Jew, before this mighty pagan warrior who'd conquered the world. A lot of courage. I want you to think about this passage with me in three big parts as we kind of work our way through it. Three big things tonight. I want you to see in the first place the character of God's servant, his servant Daniel. Then I want you to see the coming of God's kingdom. It's given to us via this image of a stone. And then I want you to see the celebration of God's triumph. 
and the, and the celebration we should share in. Let me, let me invite you to those three things. In the first place, in verse 14, I realize that's back from last week. Verse 14, as well as verses 27 through 30, you see the character of God's servant come out here. And this is what God does in Daniel. It's, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it, how calm Daniel is with, when faced with the news of his impending death. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't blow his stack. He doesn't run and hide. He, he knows, we said last week, that God knows and that God reigns, that God has a plan. He knows that God knows the end from the beginning, that God controls the future. And so what does Daniel do? He prays. He trusts God. He leans on God. And he does that because he knows that God is for him and not against him, even when the circumstances seem to be against him. And not for him. And every Christian should know that. That because of Jesus hanging on a cross, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a promise that ought to assure us and calm us amidst trouble and stress. That graciousness of God, his Savior, had transformed this young teenager Daniel had now a grace-produced character. And I just want you to see a few things about the kind of man Daniel had become because of God's grace. Notice how wise he was. When he hears that, that the king is going to kill them all, Daniel speaks to the captain of the guard. And at verse 14, it says he showed prudence and discretion. It's wisdom. He was tactful and not belligerent. You know how it is. So often when the world sort of comes out against something Christian or against Christians, sometimes Christians go ballistic. You know, our first reaction is sort of buck up and fight or uh, to express dismay and shock and anger to become irate against, oh, the injustice of it all. But Daniel here simply gives a gentle word to the one man who matters. He asks, what's so urgent? And then he asks for an opportunity to go help the king. (laughs) Daniel's wise beyond his years in his dealings with people in power. But he's also humble. Notice that when he finally comes to revealing the dream, he says to the king, look, I can't take any credit for this at all. Verse 30, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living. No, he gives all the credit to God, verse 27. I mean, after all, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician in your kingdom could show the mystery to the king. But there is a God in heaven, he says, who reveals mystery. He revealed it to me, Daniel is saying. The only reason I have it is because God gave it to me. He gets all the credit, not me. He knows the gift that he has is from God, and he honors God by acknowledging it publicly. But notice not only his wisdom and his humility, but notice his courage. He's going to speak to the king about something that the king has already threatened death over. Get it wrong, the king had said to his wise men, and that's it. You're dead. And even if the king thinks Daniel is wrong... Though Daniel knows he's right, he's still a dead man. And more than that, 
He's going to tell the king a story about the end of his own kingdom, not words the king is likely to smile about. And more than that, he's going to show up all the pagan religious leaders who couldn't come through for the king. He's going to expose their inadequacy. They'd already said, nobody can do this. And now teenage Jewish Daniel walks in and does it. He's going to, probably in his own mind, he knows he's going to face reprisals. And when you get to chapter 3 and beyond, he actually does. So this is no easy task, even being a prophet of God. The story is of God's kingdom. And that story of God's kingdom will put him in great danger. Danger if he doesn't tell it. Danger if he does tell it. But it's that same story, I would argue, that gives him the courage to tell it. After all, it's a story about God's kingdom that survives even when Daniel is dead and even when Nebuchadnezzar is dead. That's the prophecy. God's kingdom will win even if his servants suffer. And God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so the citizens of that kingdom will live forever, safely forever, with the king. And so it's a message on the one hand that puts Daniel in immediate danger. But it's the same message that's the source of courage. Because it's the source of his everlasting security. Where did he get the courage to be faithful to God? God's faithfulness to him. God had promised exile to the Jews. God had delivered on the promise. Daniel is living proof that God keeps his promises. So when God promises a coming kingdom, Daniel knows he's going to be true to his word, that the word is true and certain. And he says to himself, I belong to that kingdom. I'm a son of that king. That king is for me and not against me. And that puts steel in his bones. And so Daniel here is simply, I would argue, reflecting the character of the God he worships. He grows faithful in following a faithful God. He grows bold as he follows the God who boldly confronts Kings on their thrones. And likewise, we become what we behold. We become like the God we worship. That's a biblical principle. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, We all with un, speaking of Christians, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. Want to be more courageous? Want to be more faithful? Want to be wise? Truthful? Humble? Generous? Compassionate? Loving? What what is it you want to be? Then worship Jesus who is all those. And be transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord. As you are transformed into his own likeness. And so Daniel, wise, humble, courageous, and faithful, is simply following a God who is all those things. That's the first thing you see, the character of the king's, the kingdom's servant. Now the second thing I want you to see, it has to do with the dream and its interpretation. I want you to see 
what God does for his people in verses 31 through 45 as we hear of the coming of God's kingdom in Christ, who is the stone. Daniel begins by telling the dream. You saw that at the beginning of verse 31. The, the nightmare for Nebuchadnezzar is this. There's this giant metal statue. And its appearance is blazing and frightening. It's made of four parts. The head is gold. Uh, its chest and arms are silver. Its waist and thighs are bronze. Its legs and its feet are made of iron and uh, iron mixed with clay. And then a stone appears. And the stone strikes the image on its feet of iron and clay, breaks them into pieces, all the kingdoms collapse, and the pieces become like chaff that the wind simply blows away. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. That's the dream. Daniel explains its meaning, beginning at verse 36. And the meaning is this. There are five kingdoms. There are four of man and one of God. There's a first one. That's the Babylonian Empire. He says it clearly. You, O King Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. Right? He says to him, the God of heaven gave you your kingdom. He gave you your power and your glory. And so he says to him, look, if you are a world ruler, it's because there is one who rules the world and has given you these things. He's the one who makes you to rule over all these people and nations and creatures. You're the king. You're that head of gold. And then he says there's going to be an inferior kingdom that comes after you. The second kingdom made of silver in the chest and arms. This is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. It's going to be inferior to the Babylonian Empire just as silver is inferior to gold. The Medes and the Persians reach their height of power under King Darius, and we'll, we'll encounter him when we get to the end of chapter 5. Then there's going to be a third kingdom. It's the kingdom of bronze, the kingdom uh, of the middle and the thighs. It's, it's the kingdom, most would argue, uh, that it's the kingdom of Greece. It rules over the whole earth. Its most famous leader was Alexander the Great, the military genius who conquered Turkey, he conquered the Persians, he conquered the kingdom south of the Mediterranean Sea, including Egypt. He eventually went all the way to the Indus River, which flows through Pakistan, China, and India. Uh, And so the story goes, anyway, that when he arrived at the Indus River, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. (laughs) Well, that's Greece. And then, finally, there's a fourth kingdom with legs of iron, yet feet of iron mixed with clay. And many, and this is my position, many would view this as the Roman Empire. It's stronger than any other, as iron is stronger than gold and silver and bronze. It shatters other kingdoms, but it's, it's more fragile because it's mixed with cheap clay and it simply can't endure. It doesn't have unity. It's going to be a divided kingdom. Uh, Daniel says, because iron doesn't mix with clay. Now, whatever all that means, this kingdom too will rise and this kingdom too will fall. And they did (laughs) after the time of Daniel and in the time of Daniel. And that, let me just pause there and say this, that is on the one hand, it is a striking proof of the inspiration of scripture and the trustworthiness of the Bible 
that, that God told Daniel the end from the beginning. He predicted it, he fulfilled it, and therefore his word can be trusted. You should believe this book. But it's also uh, a reason for us uh, to wait with patience. God has promised you that Jesus will return, and the world looks around and laughs. Where is he? Where is his coming? But we are encouraged that God will fulfill his promise. He did it in the days of Daniel. He will do it again. But we are also encouraged here um, because this is uh, not only a striking fulfillment of prophecy, but it is a striking proof of the sovereignty of God in history. These four kingdoms rise and they fall as God said they would. How can that happen? Unless God is in control of history. It's not simply enough to say that God well knew it would happen. He knew these nations would come and these nations would go. No, he made them come and he made them go. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Acts chapter 17, God gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. This is what he did, friends, for these four great empires. And that is a stabilizing truth. We do not live in a universe that is out of control. We live in a universe where God's purposes are coming to pass in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And one day the kingdom of God will rule and reign over all visibly and all kingdoms will become the kingdom of our God. Here Daniel says the kingdoms of man cannot endure, they will not endure, but there is one more kingdom, the fifth kingdom, and you find it in this dream about the stone. The stone became a boulder and it grew larger than a house, and then it grew higher than the tallest building, and bigger than hills, until it became a mountain that filled the whole world. What is the meaning of the stone? Well, it's supernatural. I think that's at least hinted at when it says it was a stone not cut by human hands. That, that may be some vague reference to Jesus' descent from heaven and the virgin birth. For the stone is Jesus. And he is not completely of this world. He was fashioned by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And this stone shall grow and break all uh, these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will stand forever. It will endure forever. And the kingdom itself is universal. It grows and spreads until it fills the whole earth. Though it starts out, to take a different picture, it starts out as a small seed. It grows into a great tree where all the birds of the air can perch on it if they please. And so we know that Jesus came and he purchased people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and nation across the entire world. If you're not yet in the kingdom, there is room for you in this kingdom. Trust in him and you shall be saved. Receive from him what only he can give you, forgiveness from God and everlasting life. 
This is what he offers in his kingdom. And you who are in this kingdom, you who already believe in Jesus, let this be your priority. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Let the progress of this kingdom be your chief care and concern. And take comfort in belonging to this kingdom. Think how Daniel must have been encouraged along with his friends by this dream. Though they're in captivity, ripped from their families and home, though Israel is destroyed, yet God's kingdom will destroy the kingdoms of the world and ultimately prevail. And they belong to that kingdom. So let let the glory of that, let that dwarf our light and momentary troubles that we experience in a world that is disappearing. You are safe in the kingdom that is coming and has come in Jesus. But finally, don't miss the end of the story. Uh, verses 46 through 49 sort of uh, rush in like, uh, like, um, like people rushing the field after an 0-17 Arkansas team beats an LSU team 17-0. They just couldn't wait to celebrate. And so this story ends with a piling up of reasons to celebrate. And so I want to highlight for you these. The celebration of God's triumph, his victory. I mean, if you care about Daniel at all, if you care about God's people at all, if you care about God's kingdom at all, then the writer is inviting you to rejoice and be glad, to cheer and praise the outcome. What happened? Well, mighty King Nebuchadnezzar does the unthinkable. He falls on his face before David, uh, Daniel. <laughs> now look. Think of the recent uproar, whether you thought it was an uproar or not. Think of the recent uproar of the commander of the strongest military in the world going to foreign nations and bowing before their leaders. Whether that caused you consternation or not, you realize that a lot of people felt uh, like something just was out of whack. It had never been done before. And here, I'm not trying to play politics with that, but here, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the ancient uh, Near East in warfare touches his forehead to the ground at the feet of teenage Daniel, a Jew. He's God's servant. And this guy's done a remarkable display of self-humbling. And he worships. He commands that an offering and incense be offered to Daniel. (laughs) Now, is he worshiping Daniel or is he worshiping Daniel's God? Probably we're to understand that he means to worship the God of Daniel because Daniel is that God's spokesman. But like the pagan he is, he does so by offering incense to the human representative. Does Daniel correct him? We don't know. Does he let him go on? We don't know. The text simply doesn't say. It makes no comment. Some commentators think Daniel kind of lets him off the hook as though, you know, he got the first part right. He was humbled. You know, we won't make a big deal about this other sin. Others say, no, 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 Daniel let success go to his head. 
and he welcomed the worship. That's very unlikely. Certainly in the New Testament, we find that the apostle Peter wouldn't permit the pagan convert Cornelius to fall at his feet and worship him. When he did so, Peter lifted him up and he said, stand up, I too am just a man. Even angels in heaven didn't allow John in the book of Revelation to bow in worship of them. But the angel said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So there's some confusion about this. No one should worship God by bowing in worship before humans. Perhaps Daniel told him that, and it's simply not recorded. But notice that in his worship, Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods, and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. He's acknowledging that the God of Daniel is the supreme deity. And that's good, as far as it goes. But he hasn't really given up his beliefs in all these smaller, lesser deities either. I mean, he's, 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 uh, there's something amiss in his worship here. He sees Daniel's God as the supreme God, but not the only God. And in light of the next chapter, this doesn't appear to be a conversion on the part of Nebuchadnezzar. He does not appear to be a converted man, though he is somewhat humbled. Yet still, the writer wants you to to exult in this. (laughs) On account of a little dream, King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, God is glorified, and Daniel is raised and promoted. I mean, he gets all these high honors from Nebuchadnezzar. He makes him the ruler over the whole province of Babylon. He makes him the chief guy over all the wise men. A promotion like that is worthy of celebration. You get a promotion like that, you ought to take your wife out and feast and toast and celebrate, right? Well, God here has promoted, via King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel to the highest place in the kingdom. And so we see that God preserved his servant through suffering and exalted him at the proper time. And that is a reason to boast and glory in God and his triumph. And more than that, his friends get in on it at his request Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get put over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They divvy it up. And so part of Daniel's uh, plan here, his strategic care here, is, is not only to think of his friends and you know, reward them. He puts them in high places. He's looking out for them, certainly. But he's also looking out for the other exiles, the other Jews who are now in Babylon. Because now they're going to have friends over them. In high, friends in high places. But he's also doing something more than that. He is promoting God's cause. It's not pure self-interest. It's not purely human love. He is promoting the cause of God. He's furthering the blessing of Abraham to the nations. When God said, Abraham, I will bless you and make you a blessing. Now Daniel has been blessed and he has determined that he and his friends will be a blessing. This is the last thing I want you to, to see. What Daniel is doing here is going to be good for Babylon, not bad for Babylon. I think think Daniel took to heart the words of the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, 
when God, through the prophet, sent word to the exiles in Babylon about how they ought to live as believers in a pagan culture, he said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And that's just what Daniel and his friends have been doing. They're waiting for the consummation of the kingdom, the stone that was cut by no human hand. And while they wait, they poured themselves into serving God in the midst of the pagan kingdom of the world where they lived. They worked for the good of the people on behalf of Jesus himself. The Jesus who came, not to be served, but to serve even his enemies. And who by his death and resurrection makes us his friends. Daniel celebrates God's triumph. Do we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a great and mighty God, the only true and living God, and we exalt in you and your plan and your purposes, your knowledge, your sovereignty. You are on your throne working all your holy will. Thank you that Jesus has been raised. He is seated above all things for the well-being of his church and that he looks after her as a, as a bridegroom who loves His bride. I pray that you would help us to know and to be assured of our safety in your kingdom that we might have courage to live for you while we wait for your coming. In your name I pray. Amen.